Welcome everyone to the 60th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozella here with Nick Tartaglia. What's up, Dan? How's, how's it going? I'm good. That's nice. At least I'm going to chill now. And I feel, uh, I feel a little better in terms of everything going on because of this momentum shift going on in Ottawa. You know, I feel good to see that happening. So, you know, I'm good. You? I think the important thing is to just realize that people are just fed up with what's been going on, right? And when that happens, everybody is looking for some kind of a way to unite together. And I think that's what we've seen in Canada recently. At least, at least it's action. At least there's action going on now. Exactly. And I think when it comes to that, everybody's looking for something to unify with. Um, there's been a lot of chaos over the last, I would say, couple weeks, two years, a couple yeah. weeks, right? A couple and weeks, so yeah. And everybody seems to be kind of just pulling the trigger on what it is that they want to do. And I think people are just fed up now. But when you look at it from a market standpoint, this was the worst month, Nick, mm-hmm. since January, or I should say March 2020. Yeah. And even I that, think- the market's uh, the market's pulling a lot of uncertain moves that people were not expecting. And you know what's shocking to me is how how the market, uh, of course, you know, because this is Main Street and Wall Street. It's kind of like the typical media. How how Main Street can still believe the Fed in its nonsense. As in the Fed, oh, we're going to be able to handle inflation. We're going to fight inflation. The moment you start getting aggressive with inflation, your unemployment is going to become an issue again. And you're going to be stuck between your two dual mandates all over the place. But the market's behaving as if they're going to be able to deal with it. That's why the market started to... Um, behave like price in this whole uh, hike prices are oh, there's going to be three there's going to be four there's going to be five there's going to be seven of them well you're talking about the rates right yeah exactly from the feds point of yeah. view so 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 we got to talk about that i think today what we're going to focus on uh is an important discussion just centered around what's been going on in the market what's yeah. been going on globally uh, and how that ties into the future outlook of what's going to potentially happen this year right so Powell came out uh I think it was on Wednesday this week and basically yeah. said, we are leaving interest rates as is, but you can expect a very aggressive uh, increase in interest rates at some point. Now, I think by the end of the year, rates are going to be higher. That's almost like 100% priced in by Q4 of this year, rates are going to be higher. That's, That's assuming affect- only the only thing I would say for that is only if they can handle the market spending less because wealth is going down. Because when wealth goes down, people have less confidence as a consumer, so people spend less. So the one thing they want is the money velocity to continue because they want people to continue spending or else they're not going to collect any money. So if, they're, if, the, if the wealth effect goes down and people start spending less, and because people start spending less, businesses start shutting down or losing employees and then employment starts going up, they're going to have to pivot again. They're going to have to rotate because they rather focus on full employment then fight inflation. They, that's why they weren't wait. They were waiting until they had really low employment before they were attacking the inflation. They waited. So that's the only thing for me I'm looking at is because th- and you have this you have this stagnation occurrence. You have a lack of productivity. You still have employment problems. You have people that don't want to work. People are quitting their jobs at unseen levels in history in America. So you know if they fight it, to what extent does it affect the market in terms of actual economic activity? Once that occurs, can they hold it or do they go playing politics again and then revert their call and go right back like in 2018 when they tried to slow things down and the market was collapsing? So they went right back to what they were doing. 
that's the only thing I'm looking at. Yeah, the only concern that I have right now is just centered around the price of goods just continuing to skyrocket. That's yep. been the big focus. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about oil in a second. But the, <laughs> fact, <laughs> the, 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 fact, the fact that you have inflation um, being punched in on a macro level of yeah. like, I don't know, what is it? 4.6% and average. Like yeah. Six, if we, assuming we use the government CPI indicators. Correct. I, I, I'm actually convinced it's like almost four times higher than what it of actually course. is. It doesn't account the real estate. doesn't account for equities. doesn't account for any of that. So, so when you have, when you have that situation and a vast majority of the population is just not aware of it, and then you've got a possibility of a supply chain crisis that is going to continue to unfortunately hamper grocery stores. We're talking like basic goods at this point. It's not mm -hmm. even luxuries. It's not even stuff like that. Tie that into the possibility of a rate hike. Mm -hmm. You got to be prepared for this scenario. Now, mm -hmm. oil is another example. Tie for, you, for the supply chain, tie in the friction, the geopolitics in Europe and in Asia. What if China, what if they start, China's using this whole momentum with the between uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine to start making uh, pressure on Taiwan. If there's global tension with China now, that's going to affect the global supply chain. Why? Because who's one of the biggest exporters in the world? China. And they're the ones that deal with most countries. If you start having actual military conflict, that might have a huge impact on the supply chain. And the West has become one of the biggest consumers of the world, not producers, consumers. And we're heavily dependent on China for a lot of the shit we consume. If there's tension there, that's going to have another massive impact on our supply chain, causing more inflationary impact. Not, not, not to mention that there is an event happening in Beijing where the entire world is ascending on there, which I personally think that you know most people, and I think it'll probably be the the least watched Olympics I think in the world because people mm -hmm. are just you know pissed off from China of what they've done to the world. Um, again, this isn't this isn't me just being emotional. This is just a fact at this point mm -hmm. they've literally been awarded an olympic games um so usually when that happens the last time they had a, the olympic games in beijing we saw a rally where oil hit well above 110 dollars so on there oil just here the gas prices went up to a dollar 62 i don't think i've ever seen that wow dollar 62 dollar 65 a liter yeah. I, I don't even know when the last time i saw prices like that yeah, it's probably been a very long time. We were probably not even aware of what macroeconomics was at the time. But I think it's a full testament as to the fact that it doesn't matter where you look. Every single produce, every single commodity, every single good that's out there is getting absolutely wrecked uh, yeah. in terms of price. In terms of price, minimum wages are going up everywhere too. That adds to the inflationary pressure. It's like correct. And then here's the other thing too: if inflation is only going up seven percent and your wages only went up five percent, you're mm -hmm. actually still down two percent. So on real it, terms of income, real income terms, you're negative. Yeah, it's like so, the bond rates; they're negative real returns. So, so, so when we when you look at the whole macrosphere right now, and you try to assess pretty much, okay, what's ultimately happening? Um, I don't want to be ominous, but the, if if rates go up too quickly, mm -hmm. we know what happens after mm -hmm. that, and we can use historical mm -hmm. data to support that because that happened in '08, that happened mm -hmm. in 1987. Uh, there was a massive stock market crash. And again, we're not mm -hmm. calling for that. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is just say, hey, there's something out there that needs to be paid attention to right now. And mm -hmm. I think you and I have been talking about this like since, mm -hmm. since we started and our podcast. And one thing people don't realize is compare historically as a comparison is until 2000s, really, QE and all that stuff really wasn't a thing much. 
So back in the 80s, when there was the stock market crash and all that, they didn't really intervene in the market as much as they have been now. Now you can do so much more to manipulate to ensure that the market doesn't collapse. If it starts falling too much, well, lower your rates again. If it starts falling too much, bring back the QE. It starts falling too much. You know, there's plenty of little tools to artificially create this delusion. So the only... Uh, I have a hard time thinking the Fed's going to be able to do what they're doing or claim to do what they're going to do. And the people still believe it, which is shocking. And that's why gold reacted the way it did in silver. That was probably one of my best trades. I, as soon as the, 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 the Fed announced that the 230 started their talk, I shorted silver all the way down for dollar. I made a lot of money on that trade. But I knew that he was going to come out and say, oh, we're, gonna, we're not raising interest rates yet. And that we're going to get aggressive. So I was like, okay, I'm trading that. Boom. It was a beautiful trade, but uh, I don't, I, it's uh, not your style. You're normally no. swing trading. You're, you're not. Yeah. But I saw that. I saw that. Oh, I made that. That was a two day trade because they kept going up and bouncing. It was a nice trade, but honestly, I, I think they're full of it. It, it. It's, it's, it's not even a question of whether they're full of it or not. I think they're fully aware as to what it is that they're doing. Right. And at the end of the day, when you have, you know, these so-called experts coming out and saying, well, we anticipate inflation to be transitory. They did that for the whole year last year. We knew that was total BS, you know, that well, there's a Nobel prize winner that came out. His name is uh, Krugman. I forget his first name. He's a Nobel laureate. Paul Krugman. Paul, he's a, so he's a Keynesian economist. I think, yeah. He is I a had Keynesian a car. I, I, I was watching a conversation, a debate he had with Larry. What's his name? Something Larry. Uh, Blackstone. Um, I think so. What's his full name? What's Larry, that guy's full name? Larry Fink. No, but whatever. He's this big Wall Street guy, and he was calling a. They had a conversation, a debate a year ago, and then the debate like a week ago, and the conversation a year ago was about inflation, and basically Krugman on the second time goes, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna start off by apologizing because my inflation call was completely off. I completely <laughs> saw it. I completely didn't see it." And the other guy was calling for a lot of inflation. So a lot He's of more on the Austrian economic side, right? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know his philosophy. I didn't go look into him, but he seems to have a better understanding of how markets work because he doesn't, he looks at it from a, a behavioral standpoint, a little more realize these, these Keynesians, they, they look at like numbers, everything is driven by numbers, but numbers don't tell you how the market's feeling, how ten, it doesn't talk sentiment. to you about the geopolitics, none of that. It, you can't account for those in your models. Those are yeah, pure no statistics. So I don't, that's why I think they can't see this stuff that to them, they think the market behaves exactly the way the government wants it to until it doesn't. And then you, you can't, you can't make your predictions anymore. So these numbers, statistical economists, uh, man, they're starting to fall apart, but it's a good thing because at least now people start to realize some, there's, there's a difference between the economic frameworks. I think when you have a combination of the two and you start looking at it objectively, you can actually start seeing that the ones that are demanding for continued stimulus are actually at the losing end of what's actually, what's eventually going to happen. Now, when, when you look at gold and silver, I mean, those things have been sleeping for the last, like, you know, there was a good rally back in August, 2020 for both of them. And then it's been dormant it ever just, since. And it just started again, the rally a little there. Exactly. So when, when you talk to gold producers and you talk to you know, mining CEOs, they're all saying we don't necessarily need higher gold prices mm -hmm. because the cash flow that they've been generating has been so significant. Beautiful, it's almost know. like yeah. they're just like, we're just collecting at this point and we're just going to keep going and then keep funding new operations and possibly new acquisitions. Mm -hmm. The question is, when does that super 
recycle start? Nobody really mm-hmm. knows, right? When does when do one of the big boys come in and start acquiring the next uh, you know top? Do you think? Do you think, do you think they're going to try to pass another stimulus this year? I hope not. Um, they'd be really foolish to. Um, this kind of segues into the next part of our conversation because it's very tied to what's going on up in Ottawa right now. But um, I, I think it'd be foolish if they did. They need we we need to start encouraging people to go back to work. We need to start encouraging people to pretty much be able to self-sustain themselves. But unfortunately, we have a leadership uh, in in Canada that doesn't believe in that and believes in free handouts. Um, and in the West that period, is, and, and that is having some that is going to have some significant long-term effects that people are just not they're not even aware of it right now because they're still living the day to day. They're still going day by day trying to figure out, okay, what do I got to do today? You know, going to, going to a bank, getting that monthly stimulus check, withdrawing all of it, spending it all. And then they're like, okay, now I have to wait another month. And there's just like, that's the problem. It's behavior right now. You've shifted behavior so much. Mm-hmm. And that is why from a, you know, from a macro standpoint, you know, when interest rates do go up, people who bought houses, People who bought these or took out mortgages, put like 10% down on a company or on a, on a house, I should say, excuse me. They're going to start realizing, shit, we can't afford this. We can't afford the interest payments. Now, obviously, I would say about maybe 80 to 90% of those mortgages are probably fixed rate mortgages, right? But you're, they're still going to have to feel the effect. So who wins in that situation? Well, the banks And do. CapEx, CapEx slows down too. When interest rates go up, businesses will spend less money because, Correct. well, the, 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 the cost of that debt is way more. So cap, capital expenditure slows down. That's a huge impact that, that can lead into the recession. We can either force ourselves into a recession by raising interest rates, or we can let the market fall on itself to the point where people no longer want to spend because of the fact that they no longer have any confidence. And that lack of spending then leads to a recession because businesses are not collecting. There's no need for as much employees and so forth and so forth. So, yeah, I, I would just go back to just, you know, the, the housing stuff, you know, and you're right on yeah, the yeah. cap box, but with, with housing, it's just like that market is due for a pullback. Yeah. You cannot have two consecutive years of hockey stick growth in prices. It doesn't make sense that a three bedroom house, semi detached duplex in, I don't know, Brampton, Ontario goes from being 650 to 1.5 million. That doesn't make any sense in a span of a year. So we're at an inflection point right now. We've been calling this since probably like last year. We were just saying yeah. like, there's going to be a period where you need to be prepared for this. Um, and if, if you're not prepared for it, you're actually, it's, it's almost better not having purchased something at a higher value, right? So the ones who bought early on, who understand it and are in a good financial position, I mean, they're going to be laughing to the bank, but there's going to be a significant portion of the population that's going to realize, be like, shit, we can't afford this. Like, what do you do at that point? You got to cut back on spending. But when you cut yeah. back on spending, you got to buy less food because inflation is so high. So mm-hmm. the thing that I've been doing in my portfolio, Nick, is just like I've, I've been holding oil stocks. Mm-hmm. Gas prices are going higher. Mm-hmm. Oil prices are going higher. That's the best hedge in my mind. Mm-hmm. And again, not investment advice, but it's just the best hedge in my mind against inflation, against higher gas prices right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's crazy. No, I don't know I'm, what the same, else. I'm the same thing with you, honestly. Oil, natural gas, commodities, I, cash. Uh, I that that right now it's you don't want to 
to be aggressive right now is just to be purely it's just greed at this point exactly to, 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 to try to chase anything in in this market condition where there's so much uncertainty, it's pure greed. It's pure just, oh, I didn't make any money over the last two years or this or that. Like right now, patience has to be the, a big virtue right now. It's there's too much craziness. Not we don't like people don't realize natural gases might if they continue to going up natural food, all food byproducts and all these greenhouses, a lot of them use natural gas. Natural gases continue to go up. Healthy food products that are grown in greenhouses continue to go up. That's more inflationary pressure. It's like it's we're about to get, we're getting attacked from every single corner of our economy, you know. So it's we need to, uh, and then we don't know to what extent this all this um, these convoy freedoms are gonna impact the supply chains. To what extent? I want to talk about that. Yeah, it's it's perfect because segue. we don't know. We don't know how many trucks are really gonna start participating. How many of them are gonna say screw this? Until I am not, I am not going to play this game until you let us be. So right now it's people are, there's people getting aggressive, buying every little dip and every little thing as if they're going to go long, man. It's like, what if the market goes stagnant for 10 years overall, and you only have certain equities and certain sectors of the market that outperform. I, I, like, I still think, I still think long-term it's, you need to be invested. There's no question about that. Oh, but, but yeah, but it's just a matter of where. It, it, exactly. And I think this is the time where it's become, you know, you got to find the best companies. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of buying ind- indices and indexes at this point. So balance sheets. Talk- so. Yeah, yeah, free cash flow is gonna yeah, free yeah, cash exactly. flow is gonna be the winner in the next like couple of years. Like if you own stocks that have free cash flow, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the trucker convoy because obviously that's gonna have some significant uh, economic mm-hmm. implications. You know, politics aside, of course. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think I think it's important to realize that you know when you have a certain group of people that or I would say the majority, because it seems like much of Canada is united against this movement right now. Mm. And, you know, again, politics aside, but the mainstream media, unfortunately, is pushing that to the side. They're not even covering it properly. No, they're, they're, All they're the calling Im- it some, they're, they're using the liberal tactics of, oh, this is fascism. This is this, this is uh, anti-Semitism. It's all that. The, the, irony, the irony of all this is the ones who are saying this movement is fascist are actually pushing fascist ideas <laughs> onto society, which it's is funny. Ironically, yeah. it's causing more inflationary pressure. Believe mm-hmm. it. It's funny because liberals have become everything they used to hate and stand against and conservative have become sort of the liberals now it's, this is it's, inverse but they, but people are not aware of this inverse it's funny but yeah from an economic standpoint the last report that i saw on the truckers i i, I saw that there was about half a quarter of a million truckers uh just coming through there's another like fifty thousand coming in from the west apparently like they're all on route right now because there's a lot they're of american not- trucks apparently too coming they're, they are not leaving Ottawa mm-hmm. until our leader decides to resign. And that's so this is be, a nice check. A this, is, game. this is going to be a chess match. And mm-hmm. from an economic standpoint, let's be honest, our grocery stores, I don't know if they're going to have full shelves for mm-hmm. maybe two to three months at this point. And this is the importance right now. And I want people who are listening to this to fully understand this. Without truckers, we do not enjoy the life that we have period you do not get to go to your favorite restaurant every every friday you do Mm -hmm. not get to enjoy a steak filet mignon every week when you go to the grocery store people need to realize this and the ones that are hating on the these people for being upset and annoyed that you know they're being forced to do something that they don't want 
unfortunately, it has significant economic implications, right? It's so funny because a lot of the ones that were blaming these guys, they're going to cause economic problems. The same, <laughs> these are the same people that accepted and supported shutting down the economies, establishing essential and non-essential workers that allowed monopolies to thrive because they shut down small and medium businesses, that they allowed the government to manipulate the interest rates, that they allowed them to perform bailouts and QE and lobbying. All those people that support all that over the last two years, they're complaining that the economy might have problems now because of the, because of these truckers. It's like, really, you're going to pick and choose when the economy matters? Please get out of here. It matters every day and every week. It matters every day. For for that group of people, they just think, oh, it's you know, it's not. Picking. It's when it exactly. matters. When it, they can it, use it as an actual attack, as a tool to attack the other side. Ooh, the economy matters now. You're going to make people starve more than they need to. Oh, the inflation is going to do way more damage than, and that's your fault. There's always, they're always blaming somebody, you yeah, know, always. And that's just the sad part. But again, like, think about this, like the grocery stores are going to be affected by this. Now, the other question is people in the U S are paying attention to this mm-hmm. talking, you know, yeah, talking yeah, to people yeah. down here too. And they're all saying like, yeah, like this trucker Fox, the whole conservative side is I see it everywhere. For, for, forget the media, forget the media. I'm talking like actual people who are down mm-hmm. here. And I'm like saying like, Hey, like, do you think this is going to affect you guys? They're like, well, if it picks up more momentum, it might. So what does that mean? Well, this becomes a North American movement mm-hmm. against two leaders who unfortunately are for very, I, I don't know what other word to describe it at this point. I think draconian. they're very, they're draconian and tyrannical measures <laughs> yeah. against people's liberties. Mm-hmm. And people who don't see that have failed to read history. Mm-hmm. They fail to understand that this is how communists operate this is exactly what they do they bribe people to get into a position of power they abuse their power Mm -hmm. and then they're surprised why the people start revolting against them these are the people i started to realize that these are the people that that we're kind of veering off from the market here but i just want to understand the psychology right it's people that these are the people that perceive everything from an appearance standpoint oh if you look good and you you talk like you're okay we could ignore behavior to them, they ignore behavior, they ignore action, they ignore outcomes. To them, they focus on intent, the emotions, which how, how they feel and how they look. It's all perception. To them, that's why they're duped by all this, because to them, perception dominates. Whereas for us, we don't care what the perception is. What is the outcome? What are the actions? What are you doing? What is the trickle effect of that? To us, that's all we care about. Because the, the image is just pure nonsense. Ooh, it's like someone who pretends to be rich and they're just spending all their money. They're all in debt and they look rich. Cool, you look rich. Let's look, go look in the background. Oh, it's a disaster. That's like they, it's like our Western economies. We, we act like we're rich, but look in the background. It's a shit show. The perception you know? is often, really, let me say marketing, at least they say perception is reality, but sometimes yeah. reality gets distorted by all the smoke screens of yeah, perception, exactly. right? So especially from a political standpoint, smoke screen seems to dominate. It seems to permit political power to dominate. So you create it. You can't, you, 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 they're so weak. They'll never accept. See, that's why like back to the fed thing, I think they're too intertwined with the freaking government that they cannot allow employment to go down. They cannot allow the wealth effect to kick in in terms of going down and letting people not spend money. And that'll trickle over into Canada too, big time. I'd be curious to know who and how they're manipulating those numbers. I don't think they're, because they're obviously not telling the full story, right? They they, they keep saying, oh, the economy grew and employment numbers are growing. Mm -hmm. Like based on what, like, 
what, how are you calculating that number? And nobody's really asking that question. They're just seeing the number and they're like, okay, yeah, let's just go with that. And like, is it really that like when the day, like the day of reckoning is coming, it's good to be in the market. You want to be invested. I get that, but you have to pick companies that are going to withstand this. Right. You know, we're kind of, especially as, going, again, as the geopolitics expands, you have inflation, you have QE that's still going on. You have low interest rates. Will they stop that? Will they lower that? We'll have to see. That's an observational point that's going to go moving forward, but the markets are starting to price it in. Uh, you have tension that's glowing. Everybody's so divided. It doesn't help. You know, the way I see it is the more people are divided, the more people hate each other, the more people are not working together, that the more that the harder time people will have to plan projects, to build out businesses, to employ people, to collaborate on projects. We're just complicating our lives. The more we complicate our society, the more co- everything becomes more expensive by default. Because you just yeah. have to, you have to go through so many more wires and hurdles. And I don't, I don't want to take away from a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing very well right mm-hmm. now because they are t- taking advantage of, they're seeing the opportunity um, to take advantage and kind of start their own brands. And I think that's going to continue to grow. You have like more of a produ- producing oriented business for sure. You know, I, I would expect that to continue to grow. I think the number of entrepreneurs is going to continue to grow. Yeah, of course. You know? But to what extent but, when inflation or with the interest rates going up, to what extent, you know, how many of them over leverage themselves to pursue their new business? That's, that's the other thing, know? right? And, and that's, that's another thing that I think is going to surprise a lot of people is when the housing market does correct, who is, who is over leveraged, mm-hmm. right? When you're over leveraged on a purchase and you've got a fund that you're paying out investors with, what happens? Do you stop payment? Do you, you know, do you screw over your investors? I mean, I don't know. Like these are questions that I think we're just going to have to wait and see what happens and just focus on the most important thing, which is at the end of the day, just being a producer of the economy. That's the only way to get around this, man. Um, but yeah, like, look, the truckers, I think are doing a great thing. I think you and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy is sorely, is ultimately slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's speeding up right now. No. The best, the best hedge I think against inflation uh, is owning energy stocks, um, owning a little bit of gold and silver, and of course owning a little bit of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Bitcoin real quickly. <laughs> nice little, nice little. And again, I think you and I are bullish long term. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the chart, mm-hmm. you know, and people were like trying to say, "Oh, it's going." When it was hit like sixty three k. They were like, yeah, it's going to go to 100K. I'm like, mm. no, it's not. Go look at the chart right now. The chart, the, had, the, the, the sentiment, the macro realm. It didn't exactly. Support it. The chart had a hard time breaking above 66,000 twice. Mm. That's a double top, most bearish sign in, in technical analysis. And then it went back down to 50. People started buying it up. I'm like, it's going to go to 100K. I'm like, I actually think it's going to go lower mm-hmm. before it goes higher. And what we've seen is uh, probably a huge sentiment change, but I would say it's a pretty significant buying opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a believer in libertarian principles, which is essentially decentralization from mm-hmm. the system. And there's been a massive boom of DeFi companies globally mm-hmm. who have taken advantage of this opportunity and started realizing, listen, the best way to abolish or at least you know eliminate the system that we currently have is to be in decentralized finance and they're absolutely mm-hmm. right so the concept of staking and i'd be love i'd love to get you know a few people in this space mm-hmm. you know we've had we had a cut we had one person on which was great um but i would love to get a person on to just talk about staking and how that's created a passive stream of income for people mm-hmm. who don't necessarily know how to get 
you know, the only other passive stream of income is do I run a business, an online e-commerce store, or do I own real estate? Right. And owning real estate in this environment right now it requires a lot of liquidity, you know, mm -hmm. but with a simple like thousand bucks, apparently with staking on crypto, you can be making 50 to 20, 25 to 50 yeah. bucks a day. I, I, I saw last Powerful. week the, um, so this is all on the topic of the crypto. So this is from the standpoint of risk. So you have the Fed that came out uh, two weeks ago with their Fed coin white paper. So that plan is starting to be in motion, starting to be discussed. You have the research that's coming out. So that's out. Decentralized dollar. Exactly. So you have that. That's one. I'm just going to, I'm just going to start listing a bunch of like these variables relative to the macro and stuff and the crypto. So then you have the IMF that came out uh, warning uh, El Salvador that it should undo its whole Bitcoin pursuit. That's another one. Then you have gold that came out. Um, you have Russia that came out talking about how they would support a, a crypto backed a dollar uh, coin with gold. So they have, they, they stated that, that they would support that. If they had a, uh, a crypto that was backed by gold, that's something they would support. Then we're looking at the United States. Um, the IRS and uh, the SEC, they started been talking, coming out about talking uh, about this whole uh, staking thing and uh, some of these exchanges. And one of the issue with the staking, I think is for them is that when you stake your capital, you're getting a higher return of interest rates, kind of like a yield than you would buying bonds, government bonds. So to them, which is why no one's been buying fixed. But that's my point. So years. my point yes. from a government standpoint is that's not something you want because now that's cap, that's capital for you to control. So it becomes this sort of risk. Are people, are people going to secure or go after the staking, which provides a higher return yield than giving money to the government? I don't think they want that, at least not in the long term, or especially not in the short term, because it's, it creates uncertainty for them, and they, that's less capital for them, and so forth. So they start talking about it and investigating. One of them was Celsius; they were investigating. So that's just you know that's out there. And then you have this whole inflationary pressure. The more inflation, if if they really do attack this inflation and raise interest rates, all the there will be more deleveraging overall in the markets, which will trickle over into crypto space even more because the crypto is also a lot of, there is a lot of leverage in it. I mean, with this outcome where it's coming down like this is only because of this whole inflationary pressure and this deleveraging momentum. There's too much, there's too much capital in it from, from debt. So that has coming down. Margin and, calls uh, too. <laughs> and honestly, the 30 to 20 range is where I'm in. Like as soon as it hits 30, like at 32, we, we made a little injection, 32, 33, it hit. We made a little injection. We have it in three tranches. So that we did a little, we, we did one of our tranches. Once it gets below 30, 25 to 28, we'll do another injection. And then we'll see if it comes back I, down. And if it yeah, does, I think, I think 24K US on Bitcoin is a very key support level. Mm -hmm. That to me, if there's more support or buying that comes into that level, that's probably the bull the most bullish sign. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that to me, I mean, it, there's no such thing as a perfect entry, but if you can get entry at that price mm -hmm. and just start saying, all right, let's see where this goes. Mm -hmm. And you're bullish on the principle of, you know, have the government stop controlling, you know, my money. Like, sure. I think it's a great invest. It's a great hedge against inflation too. Now, ironically, and I had discussions with some brokers about this too, and a few guys who had invested in Bitcoin, was they're all just like, yeah, my biggest concern right now with Bitcoin is that it's way too correlated to the market. Exactly. So to growth, the to high growth tech, yeah. So it still has yet to sort of disconnect from that mm -hmm. correlation, I think. Um, because every time the market rallies, so does Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Every time the market rallies, gold kind of sells off. 
mm-hmm. right? So gold and silver continue to have that inverse relationship, mm-hmm. which I think is important. But at what point does Bitcoin have find its own path? It, exactly. Yeah. That's what it still has yet to figure mm-hmm. out. And it's a very interesting thing. Like, yeah, you and I were bullish on it because it's a libertarian principle. If you believe in distancing yourself from the state, hell yeah, bullish as hell on that stuff. But it still is yet to prove from a, mm-hmm. from a technical standpoint that you know it's, it's not correlated to the market. And that, yeah. to me, violates the first rule of like, oh, it's a hedge against inflation. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what you think. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm entirely with you, honestly, from a behavioral standpoint, because at the end of the day, people are buying because they feel confident this, confident that or not. It's all from a behavioral standpoint. And right now, the asset class has not demonstrated that it will behave in an inverse environment where there is uncertainty. Markets are becoming more and more uncertainty. And Bitcoin is doing the is going is behaving exactly the way you don't want it to behave. When markets become uncertain, people want to chase safe havens. So now for me. There's two, there's two primary risks moving forward in terms of observing that the way it's going to behave. One, it's as rates continue to go up, how is Bitcoin going to re- behave? That's one factor. And the second factor is, let's say there is a lot of tension, geopolitics tension that does build, uh, escalate around the world. China, Taiwan, Russia, Ukraine, um, United States' place in that tension. As that expands, depending to what extent it becomes an issue, how will that impact overall global markets? And how will that impact uncertainty to the point where people are chasing safe havens? And then which safe havens will dominate in that environment? Will it be just gold and precious metals? Will it be real estate, farming land? What equities will dominate? Will Bitcoin dominate? And if so, what other cryptos will dominate along it? That's going to be a new behavior because, again, Bitcoin has never experienced or crypto space has never experienced war and, and all that stuff. So this is a new this is a new condition for it to behave, and then from that behavior, we'll see how it behaves. Nick, it's almost like I wrote down a list here of like things we wanted to talk about, and like you, you hit something that I think we're just gonna kind of wrap up this this conversation is centered on war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you're right. I mean, like Bitcoin still needs some time. Um, it's normal. Think, it's a child. I, it's it, a child that needs to exactly. just figure itself out. That's all. And 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 I think it will. Um, the question is. When I mean, we don't have that answer. We don't have a crystal ball. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would say too is when you look at altcoins, you got to find the ones that make the most sense. It's like picking a stock because there's a lot of shit that's out there that people are just investing in. You've got influencer porn stars talking about a coin that they've invested in, and I'm just like, this is this is probably the biggest red flag you'll ever see because they're waiting to do a rug pull. I had a conversation with somebody who was part of an NFT project, a crypto mm-hmm. project. He got absolutely scammed. By some people because there's all that greed in there. They're just yeah. like, I just want to take. This I just, I money. just read an no article ethics. from. Yeah, I just read an article quickly about the NFT is uh, from Market Watch that apparently a lot of the NFTs that are being built are not even being built properly. That they don't actually give you any rights to any one individual thing. Anybody can just emulate it because it's not built on anything valid. Well, we got to do a whole episode on NFTs, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that that's that's just another. I, I think there's a purpose for it, but I think the actual market itself right now is just a total speculative money laundering mania. It's there's like the no- 2000. If the rates go up the way it's supposed to go up, and there's yeah. a deleveraging in the market, it's it's going to be like a washout. The thing is, what's beautiful about this is that for the people that are not going to be over leveraged and are not going to get screwed by this deleveraging momentum, the ones that are observing the market, the ones that are attentive, they're going to be able to spot which ones are going to dominate as it goes down and which ones come out alive. And then you when you and then you'll be able to attack. 
And once you get in, then you're going to be up on this really long momentum shift. That's going to be its key because you can't, people are, too many people are going all in on this, but it has yet to experience so many variables that can completely wipe out people. And that washout will be healthy. It, it, it is a healthy thing because it also teaches people the psychology of risk management at the end yeah. of the day, which is a failed, it, it, it's probably failed by a lot of people who think that they're making a boatload of money instantaneously. Uh, and then when shit does hit the fan, they're surprised why they lost it all. Mm-hmm. So it, it's total understanding of risk management. Um, well, but yeah, a lot of people, the market, the market's made it. Well, at the same time, I don't entirely blame them because again, the government, the market, everything has made them feel as if markets only go up. As if there's an issue with the market, the government and the Fed will take care of you. You know, they've, they've created this cushioned welfare environment where even in investing, there's no risk anymore. Okay, throw all your money away. The Fed will take care of you, basically. Exactly. And then what happens is the retail people get screwed. Like, honestly, if you were watching, like, people don't pay attention like us. Like, it, as in a, from our age group, right? From a retail standpoint, like, when you pay attention every day, Bloomberg, CNBC, uh, Jim Cramer, which is buy, 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 every little dip, buy, 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 buy. The market starts tanking. The moment there's a reversal in the market, now Bloomberg, oh, guys, everything's falling apart. You just told retailers, retail people to go in, 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 and then you get, then you burn them the last second. There's no hindsight in their perspective, these retail guys, because they just go in, go in as they're told. And then when the market reverses, institutions are right before you and you're screwed after. Yeah, you're you're playing a game of chasing when you should just yeah, be buying always. and holding. Unless you're a day trader or a swing trader, yeah. and that's what you do. Um, but yeah, you're 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 right, man. Um, we talk about war. Um, mm-hmm. There's some significant implications happening in Europe right now. Um, if anybody's been watching, Ukraine uh, is probably going to get invaded by Russia. Um, there are some special interest groups involved. Uh, I don't know who. Of but the EU. I, the EU has some special interests, but well, I think Ukraine, we're Ukraine and stuff. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think the important thing to note though, from a macro environment, I mean, this is only going to push oil prices even higher. And when society has reached a tipping point where, you know, they're on the verge of pretty much, I don't want to say exploding, but more just like, Hey, like we're fed up of being told what to do. Well, how do they slow it down with war? Um, Unfortunately, war makes a lot of money for these individuals who are at the top. Uh, But the important thing to note is that you need to put yourself in a situation where if that does happen, your portfolio is hedged Mm -hmm. against pretty much that stuff. When when war happens, historically, gold has a pretty substantial or significant rally that comes into play. So something to pay attention to going into the next six months is that whole geopolitical situation in Ukraine and Russia. Um, I hate to be cynical; it probably will get worse. Um, but if you have and there's gold also and the silver, Asia. there's also and, Asia with the Taiwan at the same time. Correct. So when you have China, when China's seeing what's going on there, they're going to look at that as an opportunity to go after Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Taiwan's a Taiwan small, is the hub. It's the biggest. It's a big asset for semiconductors. Correct. China seems to want them. So. Right. So there, there's a lot of stuff that's going to cause turbulence in this market. I don't think the volatility is going away anytime soon. No. I almost feel like having the VIX between like <laughs> 25 and 36 is going to be normal this year. And people are just going to have to accept that. We, we, we haven't seen that. Uh, I mean, the last two years have been insane. Like I know the VIX hit like 80 back in the COVID crash, which was insane. But 
you know, the fact that you have two to three standard deviations of volatility in a market that's so uncertain just tells you that this is a crazy environment. It's a trader's market, which is great. And if you understand risk management, you can make a lot of money, but you know, you got to be careful. Tech has been absolutely clobbered. There's a reason for that. Higher interest rates get pushed to cash flow to DC to their DCF models. So tech is going to be in for a bumpy ride this year. Mm-hmm. No question about that. You got to find the right companies. And they've Again, had I the longest to... runs. So it's like, why not I take hate... profit? Exactly. But I also hate to be biased. I mean, Apple stock is just going to continue to overperform. Microsoft too. Will probably Microsoft really well. too. Like th- mm-hmm. those two, like you need those in your portfolio because they're just cash. They're free cash flow machines. Yeah. That's why they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. So. And they have a shit ton of cash on the balance sheet. So when things do get worse, first off, people will still loan them money because they're mega freaking powerful companies. They have plenty of cash on their balance sheet. They generate plenty of revenues. They're in every economy. And all, regardless of the price comes down or not, I, in terms of sustainability, not really something I'd worry about with those companies. No, definitely not. So anyway, man, um, crazy market. <laughs> We're coming up on almost our two-year anniversary. I think our show. We got a couple more weeks left, which has been cool. Sure. Uh, Want to give a special shout out to all the special guests that we've had on. Mm. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and um, everyone that's listening. Thanks again so much. What we'll do is uh, we're going to keep this thing going, man. Uh, we will have a special announcement closer to May, which we'll talk about soon. Mm. Um, and I think people are going to be very surprised as to what's been going on on our end. But listen. Just be safe out there and, you know, yeah. stand up for what you believe in. I think that's the most important thing. Start yeah. using your eyes more. <laughs> Start thinking more too. It's the only way to. So the guys, <laughs> just, thanks so much for, th- thanks so much for listening. But Nick, you wanted to say something. Yeah. Just, you know, this year is going to be important for all of us. You know? So I hope people are paying attention. I hope people are making, are going to make better decisions or people are going to question things a little more. If they don't, you know, just it's just gonna get worse for us. So I hope totally. I hope for all of us we do better. I, you know, I want people to be happier. I want to see my friends happy. I want to see family happy. I just want us to go back to a life where people are just want to work together and just let people be. You know, enough is enough. No more mask shaming, please. Oh, no more like of anything, enough. man. You know, like when if there's war that breaks out, you really think people are gonna start caring about COVID anymore? It's like, come on, start. We gotta start prioritizing things here. If there's a war, man. We're going to be blindsided again. We're going to go from this nonsense to another nonsense, and it's just going to be just another bombardment of government nonsense. We'll leave it at that, man. It's a good conversation. I love talking to you about this stuff because this is where this is reality, right? So, thanks so much for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Oh, guys, thanks.